Well, good afternoon. And for those of you who maybe don't know me or don't recognize me because you have only seen part of my face for the last two years, and also the fact that I was actually brunette the last time I spoke to you, um, my name is Morag and I'm one of the part of the Kingdom Vineyard family here. And it is uh, a privilege um, and a pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. Today I'm continuing our series in the book of Daniel which has been a stonking series so far. Um, so if you've missed any of the talks, I would highly recommend catching up on the website on, or on YouTube. Um, we've seen Daniel and his friends faced with the challenges of living in exile, rising to positions of influence and leadership whilst not compromising in their worship of the one true God. And doing so in the face of the tyrannical tendencies of the king and of real life or death situations. I was uh, particularly struck by Chris's talk last week about how the Jewish people had ended up in exile in the first place by corrupting their worship and carrying out despicable acts, thinking they would be protected by the temple, the symbol of the presence of God with them. In the end, despite several warnings from numerous prophets, God cannot stand to have his name associated with such things any longer. And Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians. How much more astounding then is the stand taken by Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They could have just continued this slide away from God, away from pure worship, they were miles away from their homeland in successful positions in their new country. How easy would it have been just to conform to all these new customs and to turn away from God completely? But as Chris said last week, these boys are determined not to repeat the mistakes of their fathers and mothers that got them into this mess in the first place. The stand they take means they face perilous situations due to the jealousy of other leaders and the capricious nature of the king. But through it all, God is proving faithful. Not removing them from the difficult situations or saving them from being thrown into the furnace, but being right there with them. Back in chapter two, Daniel and friends face one of these life or death situations in that they were in danger of being killed alongside all the wise men and magicians in Babylon as the king made a hugely unreasonable request that they interpret his dream, but without him telling them what the dream was. Knowing and trusting God as they did, Daniel and his friends prayed and Daniel was able to tell the king his dream and interpret it for him. In today's reading, we see Daniel faced with another dream interpretation and yet another tricky situation dealing with this maniac of a king. Phoebe is going to come and read the passage, uh, which is Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 27. Thanks, Phoebe. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. 
His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground. In the grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowest, lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel interprets the dream. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, Visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your Majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remained in the ground. 
Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from the people and, I will, and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Thank you. So yeah, in this passage, we hear King Nebuchadnezzar narrating his own story. And we get a bit of respite from the anxiety of worrying about how things will turn out because he starts with a spoiler. He starts by acknowledging that the Most High is God. His kingdom is the eternal kingdom and his power the true power, which is great. And it's the point that God has been trying to get through to him for most of the previous three chapters. But a point that Nebuchadnezzar has been steadfastly missing. And we shall see it's going to take a painful lesson to get him to this point. Once again, as in chapter two, God speaks to the king through a dream. Last time he was portrayed as the head of gold, this time as a beautiful flourishing tree which fed and sheltered animals and birds. But a heavenly messenger brings a command from the most high God that the tree should be cut down, its branches cut off and its fruit scattered. All that will remain is a stump bound in iron and bronze. The messenger also decrees that whoever is represented by this tree will be cast out of society, be drenched with dew, live with wild animals, and have his reason taken from him for seven times, or till seven times have passed, which is just biblical speak for when it's all finished, when it's all completed. The dream in chapter two, we're told, troubled the king. This one, in verse 4, we're told it terrifies him. Naturally enough, he again sought interpretation. He learns one lesson from the last time, and he actually tells the wise men and the dream. But for some reason, he still goes through all his astrologers, magicians, etc., instead of going straight to Daniel. But again, the Bab Babylonian wise men come up short but Daniel steps up to the plate. And it takes a bit of time for Daniel to sort of um, make his way through the interpretation and to reveal it. And I can kind of understand why. This is where Daniel really needs to know that God is with him and has revealed the dream's interpretation to him for a reason. He's to give very bad news to someone he knows 
um, to put it mildly, has a bit of a temper problem. But unfortunately, that temper problem could easily see Daniel lose his life. But he doesn't shy away from the difficult message. And he explains to the king that he is that flourishing tree, that he has become great and strong, but that God, the Most High, has issued a judgment which will see the king deposed, that he will lose his reason, live with wild animals, eat grass, and be drenched with dew. The only thing that will bring this punishment to an end is Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging that the Most High is the one who is sovereign over all kingdoms. It is God that raises up kings and he can bring them down too. This is the message that God has been trying to get through to Nebuchadnezzar, through dreams, through Daniel's interpretations of the dreams and, and through God's rescue of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the furnace. It feels very pointed now. You will get this message one way or another. God, the Most High, rules over all. In the first dream, what Nebuchadnezzar takes away from the interpretation is, yes, I'm the head of gold. I have built a great empire, conveniently forgetting all the other empires that will replace him and missing the point that God's kingdom will bring all other empires to an end and itself will last forever. No, he focuses on the head of gold setting himself up as a golden statue to be worshipped. But for some reason, probably because he is a lot more gracious and patient than any of us would be, God speaks to Nebuchadnezzar again. And through Daniel, gives him another chance to acknowledge that all he has is God-given, and he owes it all to God. Daniel gives him some pertinent advice in verse 27. He says, uh, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Daniel knows what the Lord requires. The very things that Israel failed to do, which resulted in their exile. To do what is right, acknowledge God and look after the poor and oppressed. This he urges Nebuchadnezzar to do, to give him the chance to prevent God's judgment coming upon him. We know from the start of today's passage that he definitely does come to acknowledge God. But how that comes about, well, we'll see next week. For this week, I wanted to... Um, make a few points about communicating and receiving or responding to words from God. In Jim's talk dealing with Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, we saw that people are desperate for God's truth. So many of us, Christians or not, want to know what God's plans are for us. And we'd love to hear from God in words of prophecy. But the first thing I want to say is this. Prophecy is not fortune-telling. It is not predicting the future. One way I've heard prophecy described is as forth-telling, as in it gives us a version of circumstances or the future that God sees. 
There's a lot of information out there about hearing from God and giving words of prophecy. In preparation for today, I went through all my usual books, Naturally Supernatural, Miracle Work, Doing What Jesus Did. They're all written by vineyard-type people on stepping out in things of the Spirit, including prophecy. And all of them have chapters on how to give words. And we often talk about that here at Kingdom Vineyard too. Clearly, as it is brought up so often, it is important and something that, if done wrongly, can cause hurt and damage. So let's have a quick look at that again today. If you want to know how to give a word of prophecy, Daniel is a pretty good example to follow. I wouldn't expect any of us to necessarily have a word for another person in quite the same league as this one uh, Daniel has for Nebuchadnezzar. But that's not to say we might have something to say that we believe God's given to us that might be difficult to communicate or for the other person to hear. Daniel approaches the king with humility and diplomacy. He also expresses concern for the king, regretfully putting forward this interpretation, but nonetheless sharing what he thinks the Lord is saying. Daniel also helps Nebuchadnezzar with the possible application and actions he can take. Can I just say that if I felt I had a word of judgment for somebody, I would be very skeptical that that was God. In fact, I would discount it. It's, it wouldn't add up with what I know of God's character and New Testament scripture. We now have the Holy Spirit poured out on all of us, available to all of us, and we are told that the Holy Spirit does not condemn. Convict, yes. Condemn, no. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't go there, I won't either. He may use words or pictures that speak to something in our hearts that he wants to deal with. That's conviction. But judgment is not something that anyone should feel after receiving a word from me or from any one of us here. We are all of us fallible human beings with the chance that we might get things wrong. We should always share words with humility. I may be wrong, but this is what I think God is saying. This is my impression of what that might mean. But we don't go in with, thus saith the Lord. As I said, Daniel gives the king some possible actions to take as a result of hearing this word. These are very specific to the circumstances, but there are a few actions we should encourage anyone to do if you give them a word or picture. You should tell them to weigh up what you've said with the Bible, with what we know of God's character, and to pray about it. Have a conversation with God to see if there's something they need to do in response, or whether to place it aside for another time or to disregard it completely because it was just down to something you ate the night before. For all the information on what to do when giving a word of prophecy, there seems to be a lot less on what to do if you receive a word of prophecy. 
But you do have to take some responsibility on that front too. It's not all on the shoulders of the person who gives you the word. You need to do all those things I just mentioned, weighing up with scripture, praying about it, etc. Whether the person who gives you the word tells you to do that or not, you should still do it. It is amazing to go to conferences and see people being given prophecies to seemingly random people in the congregation. How many times do we secretly want it to be us? We want to know what God is revealing about us or to us. In my case, I usually want it to be me and not to be me in equal measure. <laughs> or we might go to a specific session, you know, a prayer session to specifically receive words from God or words of prophecy. And all that is great and exciting. But what do we do with these words? I once heard a helpful explanation from Alan Scott, who was the previous pastor at Causeway Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland and now pastor at Anaheim Vineyard in California. We'd been in one of those sessions where it seemed like the speaker had a direct line to God and was firing out words of prophecy like no tomorrow. And there were big things in there, like, like business contracts, future careers and possible ministries. And Alan explained, just as I said earlier, prophecy is not fortune-telling. We're not pawns in a chess game or robots. We have free will. And as it so often is with God, prophecy is an invitation. These words of prophecy were invitations to pursue the future with God to create and partner with him to bring things into being, whether that was the business, career, ministry, whatever. The words of prophecy plant a dream and invite you to dream with God. That is why it's so important to weigh things up and to pray about words you receive. Often a word of prophecy is just a link in a chain that God is using to communicate with you. And he will confirm it in different ways or through words from different sources. The one bit I did find in this in a book was this quote. Part of the process of interpretation or discerning and a big part of its blessing is the back and forth you'll have with the Lord about it. Through that process, you'll find yourself developing a greater working intimacy with God. And that was from the book Miracle Work by Jordan Seng. Jordan also goes on to say that you, just as you consult God in the initial stages of discernment, you should continue to consult with him as you see things unfold, being open to further clarification along the way. He also said in regard to a particular picture that he had been given, that faith led to action, uncertainty opened us to additional clarification. Prophecies often work best that way. Faith led to action. Uncertainty opened us to additional clarification. Prophecies often work best that way. The words of prophecy given to Nebuchadnezzar by Daniel have all been invitations to relationship and intimacy with God. God is earnestly trying to reveal himself. 
All through the Old Testament, again and again, God speaks through prophecies to give warnings to his people, inviting them to come back to him, to bring them back to right relationship and intimacy with him. This is the essence and purpose of prophecy, an invitation to an intimate relationship with God, working together towards shared dreams. In closing, I just want to share with you a quick story. My understanding of what to do with prophecy has not always been great. And in fact, a lot of what I've said today, I'm still learning to put into practice. But as many of you will know, God can be incredibly kind and works even in our ignorance. When I graduated from uni years ago, <clears throat> I took a trip with a friend over to Canada to spend time with another friend who lived uh, just outside of Toronto. We went to church with this friend and met her lovely pastors, one of whom prayed and prophesied over my friend Kathy and me. The word stuck in my head because it felt like at the time that the pastor had got us mixed up, which was a possibility. She gave a word to Kathy about being a homemaker with a family and a word to me about being involved in planning an international conference. At the time, Kathy was single and had a passion for politics and economics and bringing God into business and the workplace. I was in a relationship and a complete home bird. <laughs> Roll on 16 years. My friend Kathy lives in New Zealand with her husband and four kids and runs a family-based business. I was in Northern Ireland at Cosby Coast Vineyard, up to my armpits helping to plan and prepare a women's conference, which would be attended by ladies from all over the world. That word came back to me like a bombshell. I had not prayed into that word. In fact, I had kind of dismissed it. The only reason it stayed with me was because I thought the pastor had got it wrong. But God was so kind. In a place that was actually so far from what I thought my life would look like, God reminded me that he knew. He knew 16 years ago. And he knew that I would need a reminder that he had plans for me. He was not surprised by how my life was going. And I was in exactly the right place. Today, um, in ministry time, I'd like us to open ourselves up to the invitation of prophecy, to the kindness of God inviting us to renewed relationship and intimacy with him. Let's be especially open to responding to any words or pictures that you get during prayer time or have been received during the service. And we'll share those shortly. I'd encourage us, lastly, to give, to give words like Daniel and to receive God's invitation unlike Nebuchadnezzar. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for us.
Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak to us. That you use words of prophecy to invite us into deeper intimacy with you. Lord, reveal your dreams to us so that we can dream with you and partner with you to see your kingdom come in our lives and in our communities. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our spiritual eyes and ears to receive from you now all that you have for us. Speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen.